Our scripture reading for today is Jeremiah 29, 7. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because it will prosper if you too, I'm sorry, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Amen. God bless his word this morning. I know the scriptures have been short the last two weeks, but um, just wanted to hone in on some certain verses. So here we go. The Thirty Years' War was one of the longest and most destructive conflicts in European history, lasting from 1618 to 1648, fought primarily in Central Europe. An estimated 4.5 to 8 million soldiers, civilians, died as a result of battle, famine, and disease, while some areas of what is now modern Germany experienced population declines of over 50%. Is in this kind of environment that Alexander Mack and his family came to be. Alexander Mack and his followers came in the 1700s and saw the devastation that was going on, so it's no wonder for him to say something like this. No Anabaptist will be found in war at any time. But where could Alexander and his Mac, Alexander Mack and his followers go to escape war and live out this faith that they're seeing in the Bible? How can they do this in peace? Where are they to turn to? During this time, the Protestant Reformation had happened and it broke out into three segments. And as a result of the Protestant Reformation, kings of these nations says, hey, we're going to follow this sect of Christianity. And they began to fight and began to battle and things started to happen. How would you like to be Alexander Mack and his followers to come into this kind of environment where all you want is religious freedom? All you want is peace. You want to live out your faith the best you can in a peaceful environment. Where are they to go and what are they to do? I can see why he would say no Anabaptist will ever be in war. But where is he to turn? He couldn't stay in their home. Their home was devastated by war and religious fighting. If they went to Holland or another country, they would see the same thing. Eventually, they would come to America. Could they go to their new home in America? No. Welcome to America and the Civil War. Not only are we having a civil war here, but now the denominations are really breaking apart and really trying to find themselves. America is not a good place to come. Within his own movement, he couldn't find peace because when they came to America, there were some men who wanted to break off from the brethren roots that they were trying to form. They were fighting and bickering within their own system. Where were they to go to escape this kind of stuff? No one can get around war. No one can seemingly ever live in peace. I propose to you this morning that war began in heaven. Jesus saw Satan fall like lightning in chapter, Luke chapter 10, verse 18. Seems to me God was the first one to use the scorched earth theory. After the fall of Adam and Eve, he says, Cursed are you. Cursed is the ground. Cursed is everything you see. Cursed is everywhere you go. God brought war to the Egyptians. All the pestilence that came to the Egyptians was against the God that they worshipped and served. And God brought war to them. In 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 3, God tells his prophet something very, very disturbing. He says, go kill the Amalekites, every last one of them. Men, women, boys, girls, kill all the animals. Get rid of the whole place. Now that's scorched earth if I've ever heard it in war. God said, do it all, bring it down. And God used war to bring his people into captivity. 
Yet in our sermon text, he says to his holy people three times to pray and seek peace where you're at. To me, God has a lot of audacity to ask anybody to seek peace for somebody who's captured you. How could you ask me to live peace with these people? How do you have the audacity to ask me to live in peace and seek peace in the city in which I live of those who brought me captive? Why are you asking me to do this? Why would you want me to do such a thing, God? And he says to him, so that you, my people, may have peace. Only in peace will my name be glorified. My name will never be lifted up and honored in war and separation. My name will not be glorified in those kinds of things. My name will be glorified in peace. And if my name is to be glorified, you are to live in peace where you're at. So he tells them to live in peace. But who are they to have peace with? I believe he says three things in here that I believe they would have the peace with in order for them to be successful and the nation to be successful that they were living in. First, they needed to have peace with their captors. Now think about it. Here they come from their home into Babylon, all the time saying, we serve the one true God and he resides in his temple. His spirit has spoken to us. He lives in us. He lives through us. He speaks to us through his prophets. There's no way you're going to take me captive. And yet, they end up in Babylon. So when they get to Babylon, what do you think their captor said to them? I thought your God was all this and all that. I thought he was a great and mighty God. Your God is nothing because you belong to us. That would rattle my chain like to no end. Like I would have something to prove that my God is the only true and living God. But yet, They're captive into the hands of the enemy. And God says to them, have peace with the people that have taken you captive. Secondly, they would have uh, peace with their brothers and sisters in the faith. Remember now, this is the third wave that's come. They're in captivity. Those who are still left in Jerusalem in the homeland are making fun of them and laughing at them that they've been taken captive. And so this group comes. Now they're taken captive with them. The first thing I would have said was, see, who do you think you are? You think you're better than me? Now you're held captive too. You're just like me. And God says, no, seek peace with them. Show them love. Show them the town. Show them where you're at and glorify and honor my name. Trust and believe with your brothers and sisters in the faith. They're no better And they're no worse than you. You're all in it together. Have peace with them. Third, they would have peace with their leaders. Now the king and the prophets had done been sent to captivity. And we all know politics. If you think your leader done you wrong, you're going to let him have it. You're going to scold him and get onto it. So now you're going to come down into captivity where the king and everybody already is. And you're going to go to the king and the spiritual leaders and say, what have you done to us? You've lied to us. You haven't followed the way of God. You haven't served God. You haven't listened to God. And now we're in this captivity. And God says you are to have peace with them. I will deal with them. But you need to have peace with them. There's no way. There's no human way for us in the natural world to have peace like that. For to have peace that somebody has done me wrong to have peace with somebody who stepped away from me, to have peace with a leader who's taken me in the wrong direction 
or done something I've disagreed with. There's no way to have peace like that. I don't care what you say. There's just no way to do it. So this is why I say this morning, most importantly, God says to his people, you must have peace with me. Why do I believe he said that? I believe he said that because he said to the people, I brought you here. I'm the one that told this nation in war to go take you and bring you to this place. I've done this to you. I have brought you here. And now you must have peace with me. And when you have peace with me, peace will flow out of you to all those I'm asking you to have peace with. But you have to recognize me and what I'm doing is for my glory and my honor. And when you get that settled in your soul, everything else will work right. How are they to have peace with God? I mean, it seems to me he's done them pretty rough. How can he say, have peace with me? He says, my peace is found in the promise. He says it right there in Jeremiah 29. My peace is found in the promise. What is the promise he gave to his people? He says, I am coming for you. I love you. I have a call on your life. I have a will for you. And at 70 years, I'm coming to bring you home. This is my promise. And you can believe and you can trust my promise. My peace is found in the promise that I'm making you. And if you will do this and realize the days of your captivity are coming to an end, then you will seek me with your whole heart and you will find me and know that I'm God. The peace of God is found in his promise that he is coming for his people. But the promise just wasn't something he spoke out. Come on, we get promises all the time, don't we? Somebody calls you on the phone, hey, you think you can help me out? Promise you I'll do that. Promise you I'll be there. Used to be men can just shake hands and everything would be all right. Don't work that way no more. Now everything has to be documented, interpreted, and read, and all that kind of stuff. But God says, my promise to you is confirmed in my writing this letter through Jeremiah. You can believe me, you can trust me, because I'm writing you this letter. The promise is found in his word, his written word. The word of God has always been valued by the people of God. The law of Moses, when Moses wrote on the tables of stone, was kept in the Ark of the Covenant. The word of God went with them everywhere they went. They valued that written word. You were not allowed to touch that word or mess with that word. It was kept in a tabernacle. In 2 Kings chapter 22, King Josiah, he saw the temple of God. And he asked one of the stewards, he says, go down to the temple and get some money out of the temple. I see there's cracks in the wall, there's holes in the building, the flowers don't look good. Run down to the temple, high priest, and get me some money so I can help build the house of God. The high priest, he goes down there and he gets the money in the temple. And lo and behold, he finds a scroll, the written word of God. He gets the scroll and he runs back to King Josiah and says, King, I have found the word of God. King Josiah opened that scroll up and he began to read. And he thought, oh my goodness, we've sinned against the living God. 
He said in his word not to worship idols, not to turn away from him. And we've done all these things. And the Bible said King Josiah repented. And he brought the word of God to all the people and says we need to repent of what we are. His word says we've not been living right. And as a word went out to the people, the Bible says they began to be blessed. He found the written law of God, which was his promise to bless his people and touch his people and move his people. And he brought it to the people and they went together and God blessed them. It wasn't the money that he blessed. Money comes and goes. Money's here and there. But it was his word that he blessed, his spirit that he moved. And it was him working in their lives to cause them to follow him. In Jeremiah chapter 36, the king got mad at Jeremiah. God told Jeremiah, I want you to write all these things. So the king got word of the word, and the scroll was brought to him, and he says he read four leaves of this law. And after the fourth leaf, the Bible says he burned it. He couldn't take what God was saying, so he burnt the law of God. He wanted nothing to do with the scriptures or God's written word because in them was his promise. Baruch and Jeremiah got a little upset. Says the king burnt your word. He says, no problem. I want you to write this again, and now I'm really going to tell him what I think about what they're doing wrong. God's promises are found in his word. In the word of God is blessing, cursing, and promises. All these things are found in his holy word, and we have his word this morning. We have it here in our Bibles. We read it this morning. You have a few Bible. You have a Bible at home. You have the promises of God in his word. What kind of promises are found in the word of God? John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever comes to him would not perish but have everlasting life. This is a promise of God. All who come to him can know him and be saved and their lives be changed. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, hey, my yoke is easy and my burden is life. Come and learn from me. Grow in me. Let me take your burdens. Let me take your pain. Let me take the things you are going through in life because my way is easy and my way is life. That's a promise from the Lord Jesus. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and another they will not follow. We know when we get in that word and follow that word and listen to that word, we're going in the direction of God that he wants us to go and we're following and serving him because he's a king of kings and he's a Lord of lords and we won't follow anybody else because he's promises that if we're in his word. In John chapter 6, Jesus says, All my father gives me will in no wise be cast out. If my father brings you to me, you will not be cast out. Some questions. Did he cast out the woman caught in adultery when they got rid of her and they wanted to stone her and they threw her down on the ground and they brought her to the Lord Jesus? They was ready to kill her and she laid right there and he asked her what was going on. Did he cast her out? Did he judge her? Was he mean to her? No, sir. He just wrote something on the ground and said, hey, Go and sin no more. And she become a father of the Lord Jesus. God brought her right to the feet of Jesus. And he did not cast her out. Did he cast out the Canaanite woman? The Canaanite woman had a daughter sick. She wasn't even Jewish. She had heard the teachings of Jesus. And she wanted her baby to be healed. So she comes to the Lord Jesus and says, Hey, I need some help. He says, I can't give you this good stuff to you. You are not called. You're not the one I'm supposed to reach. He said, well, wait a minute. 
Even the dogs eat from the crumbs of the master's table. When his food spills on the ground, the dog is right there to eat it up. The dog wants that food. I'm here because I need you to help me. Did he say no to her? No, he did not. He said, go. Your faith has made her whole. Did he cast out the centurion? The centurion says, I have no right to come to you. You're a holy man. I'm going to send my servant to ask you to heal my other servant. Did he deny that uh, centurion? Did he say no to him? Did he say no to his servant? Did he cast him out? He said, no. I've never seen man with so much faith. He says, go tell your master that his servant is healed. Did he cast out Levi, who sat at the seat of customs, one of his disciples? Nobody liked him because he couldn't tax us from his own people. Nobody wanted to be around him or talk to him, but he comes down to him and says, Come, this day you will follow me. Did he cast out you and me? Did he say you're not worthy? Did he say, I'm not going to call you, I'm not going to love you, I'm not going to reach out to you, I'm not going to reach down to you, no matter where you're at in life? Did he cast us out? No. No. When we called on his name, he said, come to me. All you that labor and are heavy laden, learn from me, grow in me. He never cast one of us out. Now, I'm sure if I was in the days of Acts preaching this kind of word and blaming everything on God with the scorched earth theory and saying, you did all this and all that, I might have got zapped. How dare you speak about me like that? But his grace, his love, and his mercy, in a sense, allows us to express ourselves and find ourselves, and he never casts us out, but he's always drawing us back to himself, saying, come and follow and serve me. No. He received us all. In the book of Acts, they were concerned. And John, he says, don't worry. I want you to go wait. You go wait. I'm going to be whisked off into heaven. But when I go after 50 days, I'm going to fill you with my spirit. And this word is going to go all over the known world. It's recorded, is it not, in the book of Acts? In Acts chapter 2, that he filled them with the spirit of the living God. God keeps his promises, and his promises is found in his word. In the New Testament, listen to what some of the writers say. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul says, If you're in Christ, you're a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all has become new. You have a new mind. You have a new heart. You have a new life. You have a new walk. This is confirmed. In Romans chapter 6, he says in baptism, when you go down in the water, you die to yourself. That when you come up out of that water, you are raised in newness of life. This is his word in the New Testament. In 1 John chapter 1, when we sin, when we turn our backs on God. John says in 1 John 1, when we sin, he will forgive us our sin and forget all those things that we've done wrong. We have that promise from God. He cleans us and makes us whole, and he makes us right. When he sins, he forgives us. And all these promises written down by the hand of the living God is peace with God. You can have peace with God. You can have peace with man, and you can have peace with self. Why do I believe this? Because... The Bible says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This morning, you and I come to the table of peace by way of communion. 
the King of kings and Lord of lords, freely gives it to us. But we must freely accept what he's offering. He said, I'm sending a Savior. He's going to die and he's going to rise again. And he will give you peace with me. And when you have peace with this king, all the other things seem to work out. So I want to say to you this morning, whatever your struggle, whatever your fight, whatever your burden, whatever your guilt, bring it to this communion table and let the Christ, the Son of the living God, grant you that only he can give, and that is peace. Don't be disturbed in your heart. Don't be hurting in your mind. Don't be running back and forth. Christ will give you the peace. And when you have that peace with him, everything else should work out. So come this morning. Come and ask the living God and receive his peace this morning through the shed blood and the broken body of our Savior. His promise to Jeremiah was fulfilled after 70 years. His promise to give people a new mind, a new heart, was fulfilled in the book of Acts. The promise to bring peace between God and man was articulated and fulfilled in the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. That promise is written in his word. All we have to do is say, I freely receive. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, I come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanking you that you are the King of kings and you are the Lord of lords. And you ask your people to have peace with all these things. But most importantly to have peace with you. Peace is offered this morning through the shed blood and broken body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is what the brethren seen when they were in Germany. That only through you can man have peace. And that all men should have dignity and have life. And only in peace. Can you be magnified and glorified? We not only want to live our faith out through communion this morning, but through our forefathers who showed us that it's in peace that we find you and serve you, and that it's in peace others around us can be blessed, not because of us, because of the blood that was shed. Now we come to you this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name, to the communion table. If we are hurting, if we are struggling, we come and ask you to heal us. And when you heal us, everything else will work out. Lord, we give you the praise, we give you the glory, we give you the honor. We ask you to be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Before you come up.